As our website states, yep. certain celebrities, actors, musicians, yep. and we've got a uh, good one here who's worked a lot. You you know what a Trekkie is? Yeah. Or a Trekkie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been Trek, to Trekker. Oh, a Trekker. Trekker. I've been to Trekkie, yes. California. <laughs> Uh, close enough. Welcome back, everyone, live here in Dallas, Texas. Heard coast to coast as usual. A lot of good, good things we're going to be covering today. Uh, getting into it, obviously, with the AFC and NFC Championship. But first things first, I'm going to introduce our next guest in our spotlight, John Billingsley, who, in my opinion, needs no introduction. Great actor. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I think you should give me an introduction anyway, though. Because probably, <laughs> probably your opinion isn't actually echoed by your uh, listeners who are going, "Who the hell is John Bellingsley?" I, I, you look, you look at you've uh, you've done a lot over the years. Not to uh, put a you know a, a date on your age, but uh, you know, sixty-three. <laughs> there I ain't you go. Proud. There you go. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in a, a guy who came from, uh, are you from Media, Pennsylvania? Am I correct? Well, yes and no. I was born in Media, Pennsylvania, but okay. we were chased out of Dodge within a month of my arrival, so oh. I can't that. Uh, there's no plaque or statue of me to be found in Media. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? We moved around all over the place. We, uh, I lived in uh, Schenectady, New York, Fayetteville, New York, Huntsville, Alabama, Slidell, Louisiana, wow. New Orleans, Manhattan, Southern Connecticut. Went to school in Vermont, lived in Boston, London, New York, wow. Chicago, Seattle. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. And he LA wasn't even in the military. <laughs> yeah. No, my father was a criminal. It was a, uh, we just, <laughs> one, one step ahead of a law. He'd wake us up in the middle of the night, Gotta get him to the car. You know, that's. Funny. I usually I was given a, I was given a Gatling gun just to kind of keep the. It I was quite it. a childhood. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, how, one of my one of my doctors went to Harvard Medical School. Graduate. Now, this is I did not go to Harvard Medical School. I I played a doctor on television. So Trekkers, Star Trek fans. Yeah, you did Star Trek. Uh, have taken to giving me various medical school T-shirts. Okay. Well, so you I, know, have, uh, I have I have all the uh, all the Ivies. I have the medical school T-shirts. Okay. You know that's interesting though. You know, as an actor, I mean, you've played so many different roles from hitman to you name it, uh, <laughs> doctors. But it's interesting how like people might you know see you because you do have you know a recognizable face, and they see you and they might call you Doc or you know or whatever it might be. It sticks with you. Can, you. I can usually tell what people have seen me in based on the way they're looking at me, either with either with affection or or disdain or fear. Right. Um, based on whether they see me as a serial killer <laughs> or a benign alien from Denobula. <laughs> you know, think, uh, speaking of that, first of all, you got your, uh, your your start back in the late '80s, right? And I'm just curious how you got involved in the world of Hollywood. I mean, what would it start as a young, you know, as a young lad, I mean, another city to add to that long list. Yeah, that's true. Well, my, my start as an actor, it was because in the fifth grade, we had moved up from the deep South and I had a thick Southern accent and a lisp. Mm. And, uh, I, I, the Northern children were determined to beat that out of me. <laughs> so I was the class pariah. We had mandatory school auditions, mandatory auditions for the school play, which was A Christmas Carol, and I was the only one who liked to read, so I could read and lift the words off the page, so I was cast as Scrooge. So I had this one brief, shining moment of glory, where suddenly I was no longer the class pariah, I was the class star, and it made me want to, made me want to pursue a theater, a theater career. Purely vainglory, totally selfish reasons, not the love of the art, it was like, wow, I can see a path. I later went on to fall in love with the work in its own right. My parents were very gracious and let me study 
So uh, I was I was bound and determined to be an actor from the time I was a kid. Uh, curious though, and you know we've interviewed so many different actors over the years, um, and it's always I find it to be more entertaining and fun uh, to talk to people who have been in it for a little longer than others. And you've seen the industry change over the years. You were in there, and you know from the late '80s all the way up till 2023. I know you just uh, finished a, a, a movie called The Shift, which is beginning. It's getting a lot of uh, acclaim, a lot of big buzz, um, but like. And we'll get into that, but like you know, John, talk about the you know how Hollywood's changed a little bit and what you've seen, what you've noticed, and uh, for the good or the bad, or what, what's your opinion? Uh, well, to begin with, I was a theater actor up until I moved here in nineteen ninety five. So all the work I did in film and television was done up in Seattle, okay. where it was um, of glancing importance to most of us who were in the Seattle Seattle theater scene. It was how we made an occasional extra buck. It was only after I my first marriage ended and I decided to move down to L.A. to start doing film and television that I actually really ensconced myself in film and television. So okay. probably mid-90s is really when I would say my film and TV career really started. Of all the things that I've seen change, obviously streaming has made a significant difference. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most difficult things to explain to people who don't do what I do is that what keeps actors going is the residual stream. The fact that we're getting paid for the work we already did, which some people sort of kind of scratch their heads at. Many of us could go months at a time without getting a new job. Mm. It's the residuals that are our lifeblood. Streaming doesn't really pay residuals. Okay. So uh, we have seen, as is why we went on strike, we have seen our industry um, really contract, even though there may be more jobs when it comes to what the average actor can expect to make. Hmm. That's probably the biggest change structurally. Mm -hmm. I think the strike took some steps to addressing some of the inequities in the structure, but we still got a ways to go, I suspect. Got it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and, you know, let's say as as someone who's not an actor and a guy who just loves watching different shows and, and film, um, you know, obviously some of those new outlets, well, not really new, but like the Netflix of the world and the Amazons, I mean, you almost get a little too greedy as a fan because, like, you want to binge. You want to watch it all. And back in the day, that wasn't the case. Yeah. The other thing that you realize is that when, you know, I'm 63, when I was growing up, it's ads. I mean, that's where the money comes from. You yeah. watch an episode of Bonanza and it's ad, 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 ad. That's what pays the salaries. There are sure. no ads yeah. in the street, you know. They're yeah. trying to introduce a dual track model that would allow you, if you were a consumer, to pay less money, but you got to watch the ads. That would introduce a little bit more revenue, yeah. but I don't know whether or not they're going to be able to make the price point, the differentiation between those two tiers high enough to force people into, oh, God, I don't want to pay that. I'll pay X. I'll put up with ads. If they don't do that, the streaming services are going to continue to be struggling for revenue. Understood. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Well, what's your opinion? I mean, you've you've done a lot of everything from you said you, you talked about obviously being on stage, but for the most part, done a There's lot been of very little call for me to do porn. <laughs> now, the phone does not ring. They'll be surprised, yeah. even though I have a great porn name. Yeah, which is Billingsley. I, I dig it. No, that's that's my name name. My porn name is Slimy Margon. <laughs> <laughs> well, from film to TV, um, you know what what. Out of the two, I mean, really, do you, did you enjoy or do you enjoy doing more than the other? Or the stage? Uh, it's it's kind of apples and oranges. I mean, you know, the one thing about 
narrative television is that it gives you a chance to sink into a character's skin if you're a series regular. And there's something wonderful about that. Not only is the job security, of course, a boon, but it gives you a chance to really kind of elbow out your understanding of how this person operates in the world. Star Trek, in that sense, was probably the most fun I've ever had. There was a short-lived series called The Nine that I dug. Film, on the other hand, there's an immediacy about it. You know, you're not going to be there forever. It's like coming together and participating in a fabulous party that's going to last maybe a month, maybe two months longer if it's a big budget picture. Most of the films I've done have been smaller, have been more independent e films. And it's um, it, it replicates more what the theater experience is like. You're not in for the long haul. The only... The only adjustment I'd say is if you're in television and you're a guest star, you may be coming in for a day or two. That's an odd experience because you are joining an ongoing party that a lot of people have been at for now years, and you're expected to come in as a guest, get to know everybody fast, do your job, and split. That's a strange sensation. Tell us a little bit about, if you don't mind, uh, about the shift that just uh, was released. Yeah, it's um, it, what interested me about it was the sci-fi premise, the idea. It's kind of a retelling of a Job story, the gag being that uh, the devil is uh, presumably given permission by God to punish this poor sap, and he sends him into a parallel universe where uh, things are bleak, and he spends the entire movie trying to get back to his own universe. So it's a multiverse story. There are a lot of those out there right now. Hmm. I thought what was interesting about this, one, was the fact that it did kind of operate within, a, although I'm not a particularly religious person, it operated within a um, a religious construct. Okay. It had a lot to say about the nature of what the Job story is about. You know, can you keep your faith when every time you turn around, somebody's punching in the app? Got it. Uh, great lead performance, I thought. The guy who played the devil was also fabulous. So, um, might be a little, you know, I won't say too clever for its own good, but sometimes when you edit a movie, you have to decide whether or not you want to go for pace or you want to go for sense. I yeah. think some of the small interior cuts made it a little harder for the audience to follow, but were necessary to keep it clipping along. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like a, a really good cast. Uh, Neil McDonough's been on our show before. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. And some of these guys are golfers. I know Sean Astin likes to play golf. He's oh, been I've, on... I, I've, I've go, I'm not a golfer. I was cast in a TV show called G versus E many, many years ago. <laughs> yeah. And they just called me and they offered me the gig. I was like, sure, great. What do you want me to do? Uh, so they didn't until they'd already, you know, we'd signed the contract. They didn't tell me that I was supposed to play like a guy who was, a, you know, essentially a professional golfer. It's like I haven't held a golf club in my life other than <laughs> mini golf. I wouldn't. So they signed me up for a lesson. You know, it's like, how good are you going to be after one lesson? So all the shots of me golfing, it's like they ha they have this worst swing in the world where I, I, I look like I'm swinging a wiffle bat. And then they cut to the ball sailing out over the freeway. Um I did give an homage shot to my wife. I told her, look, watch the episode. You will see a, a moment when I'm bending down to retrieve a ball that I've knocked into the rough, and I've give, I've shown you the ass crack. That is, <laughs> that is my homage shot to you, darling. There you go. Uh, there you go. For intimate and, for intimate and personal reasons I cannot reveal. That was sort of a little inside joke in our marriage. Last time we uh, went back and forth via email you were talking about, you do follow a little baseball in L.A. Are you a Dodger fan? I am a Dodger fan. Um, having moved around the country quite a bit, I started out as a, my mother was a Cardinals fan in 1968, diehard Cardinals fan. Stan, so we moved to Stan New York Mutual. 
Sure. Oh yeah, she grew up. She grew up knowing you know Mutual and the Gas House Gang. Yeah. Uh, but we moved to New York in 1969. The Miracle oh, Mets. Miracle Mets. And uh, uh, you know, there's nothing like being a kid in a city where your long-suffering ball team has a resurgence. Everybody, when we this is you, you know back when they had World Series uh, uh, play during the day. Mm-hmm. I would have been in the fourth grade, I think, fifth grade. Uh, no, no school. We showed up at school, and in every classroom, they were watching the game. Wow. So you'd go from math class to social studies to English, and you'd run through the halls so you wouldn't miss anything. And you'd just watch the game. Um, it was a, it was a lovely introduction to baseball. And I, I was a Mets fan for years. Hmm. I was a Mariners fan, uh, and then I've been in Los Angeles since '95, so I've become a Dodgers fan. You got to root for the team you get to follow every day. Sure. You, you, See their games. You read the papers. Plus, it's got to be fun now to be a Dodger fan, considering what they have done. Wait, and- so yes and no. I mean, yes and no. You know, of course, with with all that success comes the heartbreak of the postseason, oh. which is it's the nature of modern baseball. I mean, I'm old enough to remember back when National League champ plays the American League champ. That's it. Then they introduce a division. Now they've got wild card teams. It's so much harder to win a World Series. Yeah. It's so much a crapshoot in baseball. Yeah, more than any other sport, baseball is a postseason crapshoot. Pretty much always comes down to pitching. So who knows what's going to happen this year? Yeah, and we've signed some great pitchers, but they we've got you know a, I think every pitcher in our staff is coming back from Tommy John surgery. So uh, you know I take it with a grain of salt. We're not going to see Shohei for another year as a pitcher. You know that uh, as fans, I feel like we we own the team. We're always saying, "Yeah, well, we've done this, or we've got this, or we just signed uh, Shohei." Uh, isn't that funny? How well we just... when you pay nine hundred dollars for a seat, you do feel like you own the team. Forgive <laughs> me, but a forty dollar hot dog gives me a sense of ownership. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, I've enjoyed your work over the years, and certainly, um, you know, you're continuing with some great uh, roles and just uh, a lot of fun. Obviously, watching you. Uh, continued success, John. I'm happy that we got to spend a little time with you on our show. Much obliged. All, All right. right. Well, we'll talk real soon, I am sure. But uh, best of luck and have a wonderful 2024. Thank you. You as well. Have All a great right. day. Guys. You too. These are the nights to never die. My father told me.